0: Now, Culture Club with Melanie Olivero. We're gonna dive deep into history in today's Culture Club. I'm Melanie Olivero for CNA 938. I'm taking you back in time where the movement of goods, precious household items, treasures, And chocolates, yes chocolates, between Mexico and the Philippines, created a unique cultural and artistic heritage. I'm talking about the Asian Civilization Museum's latest ongoing exhibition, Manila Galleon, from Asia to the Americas. Manila galleons, a type of a Spanish ship, were filled with precious cargo like porcelain, silk, spices, silverware and other goods and Like, yes, chocolate beans. Okay, I'm going to say chocolate a lot. And sailed across the Pacific, these Manila galleons docking at global port cities like Manila, in the Philippines, and Mexico City during the span, really, of the 16th to the 20th centuries. When you visit ACM's Manila Galleon from Asia to the Americans exhibition, you'll be treated to over 140 precious works of art. That you'll no doubt take many pictures of, and there's so much historical information to take in as well. So, let's get some highlights from the good people at the Asian Civilizations Museum. And I have with me Clement On, ACM's Principal Curator and Deputy Director, as well as Melissa Viswani, ACM's Assistant Director for Education. Welcome to CNA 938, Clement and Melissa.
1: Hi, Manali. Thank you. Thank you for having us here.
0: It's lovely to have you once again on air. Okay, so before we talk about the exhibition, I want to tell you and the listeners what I saw before entering. I saw some dancers performing in front of the giant tree of life on the second floors for year, and they kept they kept everyone enthralled, and they were a joy to watch. And they also took pictures with everyone who wanted selfies, wees with them. I saw them on a Saturday evening. So, who are these dancers, and how often will they be performing for us after we get our tickets?
2: Hello, Melanie. I'm so glad that you were able to catch these performances. Uh, they were actually part of the uh, Let's Fiesta Manila Galleon Weekend Festival that oh. took place last weekend. Yeah. And they were, uh, all these performances were held as part of this program. And uh, we had performers from the Mexican Association as well as the Filipino Dance Club. And uh, they are our partners for the Manila Galleon programs. But uh, not to worry because uh, this coming weekend, we will also have other programs taking place uh, uh, around the Tree of Life, uh, uh, which I will mention later on, more about this later on. And, uh, but this time around, we'll have uh, more of our local uh, dance groups such as Baskers Arts Academy. And the focus would be uh, on the uh, beautiful art and cultural contributions by women So, that's something uh, interesting, but it will still be done around our Manila Galleon installations.
0: Okay, I'll stick a pin in that. Uh, Melissa, you remind me later, okay, to talk about some of these other activities and performances and whatnot we can look out for at ACM. All right, so let's talk about the exhibition proper, Manila Galleon. What does it have to do with Singapore? Some people will ask, although they'll find out when they walk in. And how often did these Spanish trading ships come to our shores or around us?
1: Well, Melanie, thank thank you again. You know, I'm glad you enjoyed the weekend festival. Yeah. I mean, it, the the Manila Acapulco galleon trade is so fascinating because um it, while while we think that the trade happens between Spain Mexico and Philippines but true true enough is that you know these port cities around these nations are treated like axis mundis they are very much like the center of the world where, where many of the other agents, and we are talking about Chinese merchants, the Middle Eastern uh, traders as well, and likewise for many different traders in Southeast Asia, all would have congregated in, in Manila. And, and in this case, uh, Singapore is particularly involved together with other very key port cities like Malacca, uh, or in India, Goa. We are all connected as people use um, say again, Singapore as a, a transi- um, transitional hub, um, as we still serve today, and 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 would use the space to go in into Manila to do very much global trade. Um, in in short, um, the history of the the Manila galleon trade, uh, we are looking at you know it it fluctuates and it change from from the course of history, but in general, it's always one ship coming from uh, Acapulco in Mexico to uh, cutting across the Pacific Ocean into uh, Manila in the Philippines. And then upon and reaching, the ship from Manila will then set sail um, via the Pacific again and arrive back in, uh, in Mexico. So it's always one inbounding, one outbounding uh, per year.
0: So they never came here, yeah? But... Uh, the way the culture of it spread to our part of the world, we'll find out very soon. And also, yeah. there is a model of a Manila Galleon ship, and ACM got a master ship modeler to build it. I took so many pictures of it. Uh, separately, we should also look out for an interactive touch screen panel and we can swipe left or right to learn more about this ship, this majestic-looking ship, and who worked in it. So what goods did these ships normally transport? I gave a very rough description, but tell us more.
1: Sure. Um, Well, from Asia, we know that the, the Europeans the Spanish mainly, and and the Mexicans, Um, they really wanted a lot of uh, commodities from Asia and and they only could source these or these were only made in Asia. We're looking at uh, porcelain, we're looking at lacquer, uh, furniture objects. We are also looking into um, exotic uh, spices that could only be sourced in Southeast Asia and and some very hard uh, wood that they require as well. Um, and, and all these would then be purchased in Manila uh, and, and will be shipped back to, to the Americas and, and Europe. Um, vis-a-vis, what they bring from Mexico uh, to purchase these commodities were what we are looking at as uh, silver coins. And these silver coins, which were very much uh, mined uh, in Mexico and Bolivia, uh, these were then pressed into um, Spanish dollars or Mexican pesos as we were called it. These are very much the global currencies um, from the 16th century all the way to the early 20th century. Um, and and beyond the silver story, which is very important uh, what is very much under, Um, that we don't talk a a lot about, um, but have a great impact of, uh, I guess, our lives today, are the the types of natural producers that came from the Americas. And here we are, you know, you mentioned chocolate a few times. So, you know, cacao was brought into our part of the world, but along, you know, the side of other natural producers like potatoes, sweet potato, maize, uh, chilies, uh, tapioca, uh pineapple even all these came from the americas and and you know imagine that you know our cuisines today but without these ingredients
0: completely I cannot imagine that. So thank you to the Manila Galleon and the tradespeople and everyone involved during that time for bringing all of these in, globalisation hundreds of years ago. But what got a lot of people taking pictures was this two-sided giant tree of life installation. Guys, it's so colourful. And on this tree, you can spot items like the cacao pod, corn or maize, avocados, birds, religious symbols like Mother Mary, and pictures of real people. So tell us what this giant beauty is all about. But these people, who are they? I'm assuming they're from the Philippines, uh, Mexico, uh, what have you.
2: Uh, Yes, Mel, just to uh, give you a background on how this installation, the Tree of Life, came about. So the ACM team started engaging uh, communities quite early on in uh, preparation for the exhibition. So that includes uh, included speaking to the relevant embassies, in this case, the embassy of the Philippines, Mexico, and Spain. And we were very fortunate to have been introduced to Lydia Riveros, who is a Mexican living in Singapore for uh, many years. She uh, has had curated the day of the date installations at the National Museum, as well as other Mexican showcases at various locations. So we felt that an independent curator as well as a community resource person, uh, she would be perfect to collaborate with. So um, the Tree of Life actually uh, shows our intention to showcase and amplify the voices of the Filipino and Mexican communities uh, and so, we spent some time discussing with Lydia the concepts of the exhibition and how uh, her ideas and vision could complement the themes of the exhibition. And it was Lydia um, who presented to us the two ideas for the two installations uh, that includes the uh, Tree of light at the foyer and another one, which is Journeys, which is at the Contemporary Gallery of the museum. So uh, the Tree of Life that you saw, um, the giant one, uh, which is basically uh, kind of a, a, a blown up version of a, a smaller uh, the tree of life symbol, which is very important in Mexican culture, as with many other cultures. And in Mexican folk art, it typically uh, shown in a ceramic form as a family tree, which is very colourful, showing various biblical representations and even symbols from daily life in Mexico. So in this giant tree of life, Lydia has shown two sites, one Mexican and one Filipino with uh, various items that were exchanged during the Manila, Manila galleon journeys, uh, different produce, silk, ceramics, etc. And the portraits are very important because they are of uh, people of different ancestry from the Philippines and Mexico. And uh, they are pe- photos of people of African, Chinese, Filipino, Mexican and Spanish descent. So, by placing them on the tree, Lydia's intention was uh, for this to represent lineage, showing the connections and relationships between ancestors and descendants. And in a way, to show that even with the different uh, heritage that the people had, uh, the faces actually look similar. In a way, there's a lot of commonalities.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. Because I I took it that they all looked happy, so they all looked kind of similar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: Yes. So uh, we actually took all the portraits in Singapore, in ACM itself. So uh, we got the different uh, people to come down. And uh, it was quite an interesting uh, way to kind of document uh, this process. And uh, Lydia also wanted to showcase uh, the different folk art. Uh, pieces. So the this whole tree was uh, the different uh, components. The paper mache items were made by a mat- master artisan from Mexico, uh, Pedro Ortega. and he was actually in Singapore to install these various various items. And um, the banners, the paper uh, banners that you saw hung above the tree, were also uh, made by at his workshop in Mexico. Hey, the paper so banners
0: it- say ACM on them.
2: Yes, so we had them uh, especially customised just for this installation.
0: Very smart. Because not many people were looking up. But I looked up and I said, Eh, what are those letters? And I zoomed in using my camera and I saw ACM. So I said, very clever, very clever. It looks nice as well. I saw and took pictures of these beautiful dresses that we often see beauty contestants from the Philippines wearing with those big butterfly sleeves. And then a few metres away were some very colourful Tijuana Mexican dresses, and there is a connection to the very famous Mexican artist Frida Kahlo. So tell us about these dresses.
1: Well, I mean you you, you sported some of the very uh, very interesting uh, costumes and dresses that we had for the exhibition, and I, I think they played a very important role for informing us about the the, the significance and impact of the Manila galleon trade. The Tehuana dresses, the very colourful embroidered dresses that you saw, uh, if you notice and if you recall the, the display beside it, there are these large um, shawls, big, uh, giant shawls, which are also embroidered in in, in very colourful silk threads as well. Those are Um, made in China, despite the fact that the Mexicans and Spanish people in the past often referred to them as Manton de Manila, Manila Shows, but, but they really have nothing to do with Manila. They were all embroidered and made in China. But because they they came these products came into the Philippines and were 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 sold and exported out from there. So people from from the West from Mexico would often refer to them as you know Manila shows. Um, and I guess you know if you think about these shows in today's uh relevance and impact, probably you will recall like the Spanish uh, traditions of flamenco dancers. These ladies would often dance and twirl around these uh, uh shows with them and it has that that legacy and that that influence that we still see today. Um, the Tijuana dresses is very interesting because up to the 20th century where the these Mexican uh ladies who were uh part of these weaving industries started to uh, weave all these very colourful embroideries on their dresses. But if you notice, the flowers on the dresses were taken from inspirations from these uh, uh, Manila Chinese shores. Uh, You can see very similar motifs, like the big peonies, that again appears in, in, their, in their dresses as well. Sometimes you see designs of butterflies and, and crickets. Uh, also very much in that Chinese uh, symbolism, again appearing. And it just shows that, you know, in this 250 years of trade, a lot of these uh, visual uh, motifs were very much being internalized and became very global tastes, um, not just for the Asians, but also for the Americans and, and the Europeans as well. Um, what we have on the dress um, the Mexican Tehuana dress on display they came from a very interesting provenance, it came from the Henestrosa family uh, who used to be a, a lady who has been bringing Frida Kahlo uh, some of these Tehuana dresses which Frida adored a lot and and embraced them as part of her regular uh, uh, wear as well for formal and informal occasion, then it makes it always feel that you know this is like a form of Mexican dress, a Mexican uh, national dress. And that story also applies to the, um, the Filipino. You were mentioning the, the tall butterfly sleeves. Uh, those are called the tenor, uh, tenor sleeves. Um, and, and they were made by two, we picked two dresses from two national award artists. Uh, one is Ramon Valera. And, and the other a designer is uh, she goes by her studio name of Slim, but her full name is Salvacion Limnigans. Both of them are the national uh, artists uh, that were uh, given to them by the uh, government of the Philippines mm-hmm. for uh, being the two who has modernized, the um, the butterfly sleeve look, which today, of course, as you said, for beauty pageants, for yes. national day, important key events, you know, these are very uh, distinct uh, uh, national uh, outfit for for the ladies as well.
0: Clement and Melissa, I love chocolate, so I was thrilled to see that cacao pod on that giant tree of life, and then, as I went in. I saw this blue and white porcelain jar with an iron cover and a lock on top. It's called a chocolate jar, uh, used to hold chocolate beans. But what's interesting is that this chocolate jar has a China connection and dates back to hundreds of years ago. Can you tell us about how these jars were used and why they were made in China? Because you talked about the China connection just now, Clement.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you spotted that. I mean, it's one of my favorite objects as well. Um, we, we mentioned early, earlier that uh, porcelain um, is one of the things that um, the Spanish-Mexican traders uh, wanted from Asia. And these porcelains, uh, uh, jars, containers would have been made in China and uh, actually exported out to Manila for, for waiting for these buyers to, to pick them up. Um, and 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 giving that these jars, uh, you, you know, the good thing about the porcelain uh, containers is that they are resistant against um, uh, against the humidity, against the white wet climate. Uh, imagine most of the crates in in a ship would be made of wood, but if to carry organics material, if your cargo is wet. Um, very likely, these natural producers like cacao would be damaged very easily. So the the merchants and the traders actually uh, improvise use some of these uh, ceramics as containers, and 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 then they would put these uh, cacao pots into a porcelain jar to prevent uh, any kind of a uh, damage from 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 seepage or from water, and and they keep. You know the 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 cacao pots, uh, well intact uh, for the travel, so that's the um that's the story behind uh, why they they repurpose some of these jars as containers.
0: Yeah, and then I read, of course, as I always do. That's why I spend so much time at museums. I was reading the information panel, and then these these porcelain jars and other items were made in a city in China called Jingdezhen. They all seem to Absolutely. come from there.
1: Yes, yes. The Jingdezhen uh, is uh, it's 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 like a porcelain city. You know, today, oh. it still has the image of a porcelain city. Many of the the imperial kilns that were made uh, for the courts were were based there. Uh, likewise, for 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 the external market as well. So so it is a, a huge uh, a city for for producing porcelain.
0: Mm. And now that we're in this era of thinking about earth-friendly fabrics, uh, what's interesting to see is that the Filipinos made some of their blouses and scarves out of pineapple fibre hundreds of years ago. So they definitely had a head start. But I'm just wondering, because I was looking at these fabrics, do they also get a bit yellow with age, just like the cotton equivalents?
1: Well, I mean, that's a very interesting question, uh, Mel. Um, uh, which is also very interesting when you look at the, the Philippines. We, we mentioned, again, pineapples came from from the Americas, and, but today we often associate pineapples, the, the fruit itself, as, as very much from Asia. So the Philippines, uh, especially the women who lead the weaving industries, uh, found a way, uh, they already have a tradition of weaving uh, from natural fibers, they realized that the, the plant, pineapple tree uh, and, and the leaves from the pineapple could be um, uh, could be taken apart with their fibers. And through the fibers you can actually create uh, these beñas, uh, that that could be, loomed and and woven into uh, different uh, uh purposes whether is it like a long tablecloth settings or even clothes that one would wear and 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 because of the porous nature almost like linen uh it is very much um uh, suitable for for our climate in southeast asia as well the because it is a natural fiber again like linen um it is originally kind of an off-white color. So it get you, you see, you know, there is this creamy, um, yellowish texture. And it also depends on the very nature of um the fiber itself. It can be um some can be much more darker in terms of its yellow, creamy texture, some could be whiter, but it's never white white in the first place. Mm. And of course depending on the age and, and I guess the care and the condition uh, of how you maintain it some of course um, get like dirty yellow so so it really depends di- different permutations
0: mm. and I also kept seeing uh, some terms on the information panels like sangli and mestizo and sangli refers to certain types of people they, they thought w- were mixed with uh, Chinese people or something like that who used these terms?
1: Um, the term sanglays, uh were referred to, well, basically they referred to the Chinese community oh. who were living in, uh, uh, in Manila. Uh, these, this, this term was uh, probably first used by the Spanish who were there. Uh, um looking at the Chinese uh, early Chinese communities who who were either trading there or eventually these communities also uh, settled down in Manila uh, and, and and made Manila as their home as they married uh, with uh, local uh, communities. Um, it, it came from a term a Chinese term uh, called uh, referred to as frequent visitors. So somehow these Chinese, Terms uh, We know that the Chinese communities uh, would very much likely came from southern China, from Fujian, uh, and, and de- these are often referred to as regular visitors. So somehow that term, regular visitor, in, in, in Hokkien uh, was translated as sanglés to the years of the Spanish people.
0: Oh, sangley And mestizo means mixed race?
1: Mixed race. Mm. Uh, um, um, it could be, you know, one part Spanish, could be one part Filipino, or could be uh, Spanish and Chinese as well. So so it depends on mm. the different uh, union of, of families. Uh, very much like, you know, Paranakan in, in our region,
0: uh-huh. in a way. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I think a lot of Singaporeans would be pleasantly surprised to see some beaded Paranakan slippers and purses. Yeah at this exhibition and they'll find out why, of course. And I also love taking pictures of this soup tureen in the shape of a fish or carp with a little fish on the handle. And this soup tureen ah. is branded with a coat of arms. It belonged to a Spanish family based in the Philippines. And again, this tureen was made in China. So let's talk about this eye-catching. It's really a piece of art to me. And other items of on display... That have that have these these uh, these coat of arms. So, th- were they aristocratic people from Spain, or just families mm. who had their own coat of arms?
1: Um, they, they. I mean, if you have a coat of arms. It- would also reflect that it's an old family, a family of importance. Uh, And what we have on display, these exports, uh, porcelain, uh, were all made in China at a certain point in time during the trade. And we deliberately pick uh, specific ones that bear coat of arms because we can trace and attribute the individual or um, the family who is involved either in the Philippines Mexico, or even back in Spain, but they were administering uh, the trade. So so these are very much what we call special commission, uh, very much bespoke pieces, as if you like in modern day terms, that you would make a specific order, a commission in China uh, of certain different types of dinner services uh, pieces uh, with uh, your family uh, crest on them um and and of course you know when imagine you're sitting in at a dinner service with all this customized uh, porcelain uh and and it's very much also a conversational piece uh amongst uh, the host and the guests as well the fish tureen and some of the animal shaped tureens are very interesting because it also reflects a very east and west uh, exchange um these are not very much to the domestic taste of the chinese But uh, these are very much um, appealing to to the Europeans uh, at that point in time in history. Uh, 16th, 17th century in European tradition, uh, if we recall in paintings, they are very much uh, favorable to still life, and often the the subject of still life is about the change of seasons. Uh, which comes with the change of different uh uh, uh hunting games. Uh, of of meat and and vegetables. Uh, and sometimes you will see in the dinner table where you have you know all these uh, uh, producers. And and why not take it further? Uh, because of the trade, because the Chinese porters are very skilled at sculpting uh, uh, animal forms into porcelain. Why not take it further to create uh, a soup terrain in the shape of a goose, in the shape of a a fish? Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a bit whimsical, but there is also a play at heart at some of these uh, uh, porcelain wares as well.
0: Yes, and also because it's lit so well, it photographs beautifully. So I took many pictures of it. So it's lit so well that sometimes this, the scales of the fish are glistening and it captures so well on my camera. And that's behind a plate of glass. As are boxes and cases made out of lacquer, but there are also quite a few tactile boards that are on the walls of the exhibition. And are these mostly for the visually impaired visitors who come by the exhibition? Because a lot of us, uh, other visitors, were touching them a lot.
2: Well, okay. Um, I would say yes and no. In a sense, uh, when we were designing uh, these boards, we definitely had uh, persons with visual impairments in mind Um, And there was a consultation process with the Singapore Association of the Visually Handicapped. But like you said, um, we basically, I mean, it's for the regular visitor uh, coming through the exhibition. And these tactile boards actually um, encourage people to take a closer look at the details and the patterns found on the objects and they are used by our volunteer guides uh, for uh, families with children, for students, et cetera. um, But going back to the point about uh, these tactile boards uh, being for persons with visual impairments, uh, we have also worked with our volunteer guides, uh, trained them to uh, do special touch tours uh, for persons with visual impairment. And um, these tactile boards have been used for that purpose as well. So I would say that uh, it has definitely has a dual purpose.
0: Yeah, because I like touching them and I like taking pictures of them as well. I've got to go to the news, Clement and Melissa. So about 20 seconds each, which part or parts of the Manila Galleon exhibition are your favourite ladies? First, Melissa, go.
2: Okay, (laughs) I would definitely say uh, the installations because uh, that's really something close to my heart, uh, working with the communities and kind of, it's really meaningful to me.
0: The video installations are very nice as well. There are some uh, videos we can watch there with the community, with Singaporeans, how you brought them together. So well done, Melissa. I like that one as well. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. You're most welcome. Clement?
1: Um, I like the last bit of the exhibition, which we talk about the textiles, the dresses, because they speak of a story of a post-independence Philippines and Mexico um, that that really resonate with you know what, what makes a very unique Filipino or Mexican identity and I think Singapore we are asking ourselves that question what is it about you know what is unique about being a Singaporean where is our Singaporean spirit and then with this exhibition I hope that you know we can take uh, a page. Uh, to learn from the Mexican and, and the Filipinos' history as well, to, to ask ourselves this question and hopefully find a voice and forge a path of what we can be proud of as well as a national uh, uh, spirit or identity.
0: Well said. I enjoy talking to you, Clement and Melissa. Have a great day and thanks for being on CNE 938.
1: Thank, Thank you, Thank you Madeline. Madeline.
0: You're most welcome. That's right. I've been talking to Clement On, Asian Civilization Museum's Principal Curator and Deputy Director, and Melissa Viswani, ACM's Assistant Director for Education. Manila Galleon from Asia to Americas is ongoing, and now on at the ACM until the 17th of March. And remember, there's merch as well. For ticketing details and more information, go to nhb.gov.sg slash ACM. That's all for today's Culture Club, and I'm Melanie Olivero for CNA 938.